Welcome to Regulated and Relational, bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. In today's episode, ATN's Executive Director Julie Beam and Parent Program Director Ginger Healy explore resilience, what it is and isn't, and the hope for finding healing to trauma by building resilience. Let's listen in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Julie Beam. And I'm Ginger Healy. And we are excited to share with you from both our personal experiences and our professional knowledge about what it truly means to be attachment-focused, trauma-informed, and how we can help children impacted by early childhood trauma. We left off in our last episode defining trauma and talking about why a podcast about becoming trauma-informed is so important. We know that talking about trauma is stressful, and often we walk away from those conversations feeling a little hopeless. With good reason, healing from trauma is not easy. So in this episode, we're going to talk about where the hope is and introduce a concept that is so important to understand. It's a word that continues to become more and more popular in today's culture. You hear it everywhere. All types of places are using it. The word is resilience. Resilience. Let's define it. It is the ability to overcome hardships. I like to think of it as the ability to spring forward. Harvard defines it as an adaptive response to serious hardship and points out that it is grown. It's just not something we're automatically born with. It has to be developed. And so let's talk about how to develop it. Many people believe that children are more resilient than adults. I've heard that before. Have you heard that, Julie? Oh, yes, all the time, especially now in the pandemic. I mean, you hear it on the media that the children are really adaptable and they're going to survive this pandemic. They're going to be able to just hop into virtual school and it's not really affecting them to lose connection with their friends. You, you hear the opposite as being true, which is good. That means some people are, are picking up on the stress. But I wonder if one of the reasons that we as adults have a hard time recognizing that children are not necessarily as adaptable as they seem on the outside is because they show that stress in so many different ways, not in, not in adult ways. We don't understand it because we don't see it the same. Yeah. And I also think that we just want it to be true. It would be really nice. Point. It would be easy if that were true, but it's not. We really have to develop that resilience. And so I want to kind of talk about what Dr. Bessel van der Kolk says. He said that the most significant determinant of resilience is the quality of our close personal relationships, especially with parents and primary caregivers. He's saying that that early attachment to the parents or any caregiver, it plays a really crucial lifelong role in human adaptation. And even more importantly, what he says is that how loved you felt as a child is a great predictor of how you manage all kinds of difficult situations later in life. Wow. That really does sum it up for so much of what resilience is. He doesn't even use the word resilience, but yet he captures it perfectly. How loved you felt as a child is a great predictor on how you will manage all kinds of difficult situations later in life. There's a truth, 
a trauma-informed attachment focused truth that I need written on my wall somewhere that I can look at every day. I mean, it's really talking about those early childhood years, that first 20 years in life and how critical they are, because when it gets to the big stuff, it's going to play an impact on our perceptions, our interpretations, all of our expectations. Those early experiences, they mold, they shape the brain. Our brain is really malleable. It's a use-dependent organ. And so it makes a difference. I mean, that's what we're talking about. It does. There's both not hope and hope in that statement. The, the not hope is that if you had a really poor childhood and you didn't feel loved, then you've got a lot of things to overcome to build your resilience and to be able to have more healthy attachment and all the other things we're talking about. But the truth is it is grown and built. And so there are ways to do that. So part of our message is if you're parenting children, if you're working with children, knowing what resilience is and how it grows and how you can contribute to it for those children is crucial. And if you yourself did not have that felt love as a child, there are still things that you can do. I mean, resilience is so important and understanding what it is is so important. We spent a good solid two weeks, didn't we, Ginger? Trying to figure out how to name this podcast resilience something because it is that important to healing trauma and the adverse effects of trauma. Becoming resilient is critical and being more resilient is critical, but there's a lot of things being called resilient and resiliency out there. Now, a lot of podcasts, a lot of documents, a lot, everybody's using it. The business world loves the word, right? The, the idea of bouncing back from adversity um, really does. It applies to business. It applies to, you know, to how you persevere in your business, Yeah, I've heard it a lot in athletics. I'm sure as the Olympics get closer, you're going to hear that word thrown in there a lot, you know, and there's nothing wrong with people using it because they're using it in, you know, in a relatively correct way. But what we're talking about here is very specific is acquiring the capacity of resilience to overcome hardships and growing that resilience as part of a way to heal us and to also prepare us for what is ahead. So I think it's really important to understand what resilience isn't. You know, that helps us understand clearer what it is. There's two things I want to point out. The first one is that becoming resilient isn't a solo act. You can't do it by yourself. And that's really hard for us to understand in Western culture, because we Americans, we have this real independent spirit, this whole cowboy mentality. We are literally going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're going to do it ourselves. And resilience building is not a self activity. It takes those relationships of other people to really help us build resilience. It's not grit either. Grit is a little bit different. It's defined as the passion and perseverance to keep going. But resilience is really sort of the base that you have to have before you can have the grit. Because grit feels like being too risky, right? Finding something to be passionate about and really pushing forward towards your achievement goals is great stuff if you can get there. But if you don't have enough resilience to begin with, the risk of failing on those goals feels bigger than gritty people usually are already people with a lot of resilience. 
feel like that if we push that, push grit before resilience, instead of pushing resilience before grit, it's a little shaming. I just think about kids who are told, be brave, be strong, push through, and they're just not there yet. They're needing help to get there. And the last thing I ever want to do is push shame on right. a child or anybody. I think that's a great point. And the whole use of be these things implies that you have within you and that you're doing on the inside by yourself. And that's, that's not where, where this is coming from at all. It's a grown trait. It's a grown skill, really, that you become more resilient by having all of the protective factors around you, all of the things that you need to become more resilient. Otherwise, you can't be brave, you can't be stronger, you can't do those things. And when you can't do them, then you end up feeling really ashamed that you can't and that you internally tell yourself that you that you are the failure, not that you failed, but that you actually are the failure. And that's a whole different thing. The second point is that this isn't really about personality traits. There is some research that indicates that there are genetic tendencies that make you more resilient, but resilience is much more about it being developed within you. Therein lies the hope, right? Is that if you have been through significant traumas, if maybe you you had a lot of early relational traumas in your own childhood, there's still very much an opportunity to build resilience. And that's Uh, why the Harvard Center for the Developing Child says this about resilience. And this is so important. Here it comes. The single most common factor for children who develop resilience is at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive parent, caregiver, or other adult. These relationships are the active ingredients in building resilience. A committed, stable adult buffers children from the full impact of a traumatic event and can keep the stress from becoming toxic. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I've heard that said many times in our work, but I'm not kidding. Every time I hear it, I get chills because it's everything. You Mm -hmm. had kind of mentioned protective factors, and this talks about that buffer relationship It also talks about, you know, implemented that way, it can keep the stress from becoming toxic. And we use that word stress all the time in our daily lives. And it almost becomes irrelevant, especially if you're using toxic stress in that way. So I kind of want to pull out exactly what toxic stress is, because, you know, we've got good stress, we've got positive stress things that get us out of bed in the morning. We've got tolerable stress. We're going to dive into that more when we talk about attachment, where that also helps us build attachment and relationships, but toxic stress. This is a term that was coined by a pediatrician, Jack Schoenkoff, and he refers to it as chronic excessive stress that exceeds the child's ability to cope especially in the absence of a supportive caregiving adult. So there again, you see how important that supportive caregiving adult is because when that toxic stress becomes so extreme and frequent, that extended activation of the stress response, you know, without that buffering that we talked about with the adult, I mean, you think about that word toxic, just the word alone. I mean, that, that means poison, right? It's has such an impact when we pull it apart and think about it. Yeah. I heard once 
someone doing a workshop on the stress chemicals and their impact on our brains and especially on developing brains, children's brains. And, and they're, they're meant to activate our systems and to get us ready to run away from that bear. Right. But they just said that if it's chronic and the child is under so much stress that they never get an opportunity to not have those chemicals washing over their brains, it has the effect on the development of their brain, sort of like pouring battery acid on their brain. And that was so visual for me. I'm thinking, no wonder it affects so many ways that your brain functions, that children who have, have what they call developmental trauma disorder can have all kinds of impacts, everything from, from sensory and motor skill impacts to learning impacts to emotional impacts. Well, yeah, if you, you know, if you poured a chemical that was as toxic as battery acid on a developing brain, you could impact all kinds of things. And that was really this person's point was that too much stress without the buffering of that support to make it tolerable um, has that kind of impact. It was really visual for me. <laughs> it was you know. extremely visual, extremely painful. I mean, it's the reality. It's not even that we're over-exaggerating here. Um, I'll never forget when I read uh, Nadine Burke Harris, her book, The Deepest Well. I mean, that's exactly what she's saying in it too. You mentioned the bear. She talks about that, you know, we have these fight, flight, or freeze system that's in place. If there is a bear, we need to run, right? Or if there's something equivalent to a bear, we either need to fight it or flee from it. But what she's saying and what we're saying is that if that bear lives in the home or is in your life every day and you can't get away from it, those chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol, that's the battery acid that our brain releases, that our body releases, you know, that's what happens. It becomes toxic. It becomes poison. And that's what the adverse childhood event study teaches us is that yeah, of course it's emotional and of course it's mental. Those are, that's the damage that's caused. But what that study teaches us is that it's a physical damage, that it actually shortens our life expectancy. And I just never will forget that moment that I had that aha experience about what stress can do to us if it is not buffered, like we've been talking about with right. those particular factors. Right. So so the key then is to recognize when stress is toxic or when it's, when it's becoming toxic and to recognize how to lighten our loads in all of that. Because as Ginger pointed out earlier, there is some, such a thing as positive stress. And, you know, that's what gets us out of bed every morning, right? It's like, right. like the alarm goes off and we're like, okay, what is, why do I have to get up again? Oh yeah, I got to go to work or I got, you know, kids to get off to school or whatever my, whatever my tasks are for that day. So my brain, you know, gives me some, a little bit of stress chemical so that boom, I can, can get up and, and do that. And sometimes some of us supplement that with coffee, which also sort of like perks that some of us got to supplement that with coffee before we can even start thinking. But the point is that the positive stress does keep us working towards towards our daily goals. And it's, it's a good thing. We have to have a certain amount of stress in our life. And even stress that becomes stressful is 
tolerable if we recognize it and figure out how to lighten the load. And um, the most important way to lighten the load has to do with relationships, right? And that's, that's the whole point of what Harvard is saying about children. It's true also about adults. And you'll hear even more of this when we talk about attachment in our upcoming episode, because that concept attachment and relationships are so really important to go along with building resilience. It's important in our own lives. I mean, when when I'm under stress, one of the tools that I actively use is seeking out the people who are my stable, committed people in my life, my spouse or my friends or, you know, whomever, my sister and sharing that with them, telling them about my stress, because that lightens the load. We know that most of us know that as, as adult human beings, that hopefully we have at least one person that we can do that with. And when we do that, it lessens the stress, but there are other things. There are other protective factors, things that help build our resiliency and lessen our stress that we can do as grownups. And we can do them. We can figure out how to guide children towards doing them as well. And the first one, I did a query of a bunch of articles about resilience. And the interesting thing was that it talked all about adult resilience, never talked about children resilience, which is like, which I guess we think children just spring forth with resilience. But anyway, (laughs) we know that's not true. But it talked about positive mindsets, having positive mindsets and positive outlooks, which is great. As long as we're, as we're, as we go deeper and figure out what helps us get a positive mindset, because otherwise it's, we're back to that. Just think positive thoughts and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is really not going to do it. Right. Yeah. You're missing the point there. So, but it's true that thinking positive thoughts gives you, um, you know, give, allows you to get to a more positive mindset and, and allows you to become more resilient. But that's like saying doing planks every day is going to give me abs. You know, it's, it's hard to do planks and I want a lot of encouragement and I want to work up to that. You know, so the same thing about a positive mindset, you may not be there yet, right? You might, you might need help and support to get to that positive mindset the same way that children might, might do that. One of the things it did point out in the article, because it also talked about taking care of yourself physically. And we know that movement and exercise are good things to do to help us build our resilience, to help us be, um, be more able to take on adversities. Um, but the other thing that, that all the articles mentioned, in addition to those relationships was to find a purpose in our lives and to help others. I'm a huge fan of that because I just think that we need to be conscious that that's an important thing we can do for ourselves. I am a firm believer that the place of the greatest woundedness in your life are the places that if you can help others with that, it really helps you. I speak that all about ATN because the attachment and trauma network has been that place for me. One of the biggest challenges in my life was learning how to help my daughter heal from her childhood trauma. And I didn't have the resources that are now available. Some of them created by the attachment and trauma network. I didn't have those. And so 
helping others to find those and get those and be a part of that brings incredible joy and healing in my life and, and builds my own resilience. What I've learned about the resilience has actually helped me build my own resilience. So I think it's really important for us to recognize that we are wired for the connections and that the connections themselves are what make us healthy and able to weather the hardship. And that by turning and helping others, we're really magnifying that for ourselves. Don't you think Ginger? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's interesting. You say that because I had just read this Chinese proverb this morning and it fits right in perfectly. It says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. I, that really hit me. I mean, just a second ago, we were talking about those stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol being dumped over and over again, but we can combat that on a physical level with the dumping the oxytocin and the serotonin, which have that opposite effect. And I know that's a little technical, but that's exactly what it's saying because it's actually been scientifically proven that helping others reduces depression, lowers blood pressure and lengthens the lifespan. So it's having the opposite effect. Exactly. And we can teach children to help others too. Some of our little ones may not be resilient enough to be there yet, but it's a goal and a step that we need to recognize that giving back and helping others really gets you outside of yourself and into those relationships in a new and important way. Even before we knew that we encouraged our children to help other people, but for our daughter, who's had significant trauma her ability to be useful in giving to other people has been a major piece of healing and pride for her. I watched her now gravitate and volunteer as a young adult to do things that I never dreamed that she would want to do because she knows it makes her feel good. And that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think I just want to get a little vulnerable here for a second and share that As a child myself, I experienced some hard things. I actually have a very high ACE score, but somehow I'm making it through this life with, I would guess, some bit of resilience. And I was thinking the other day, how, why, what, what brought me here to where I was? And it wasn't how or why it was who I have a mother who I can tell you as a child you know, was always there for me, never missed a track me, bragged about me till it became a little bit annoying and nauseating. But now as a mom, I get that, right? Um, <laughs> that mama's love. She's, she's a proud one of you. <laughs> yeah, she, is. she continues to be, you know, and, and I think about my grandma, every time she came to visit, she would just grab my hand and start stroking it. And it just felt good. And it's because I just felt like I was the only one in the room when she was there, that, that that's the only thing that mattered was her and me. And, and then I really thought about this teacher in the seventh grade who postponed the school spelling bee for me by one day because I was sick. And that was the year that I made it a runner up in regionals. And obviously that wouldn't have happened had she not done that for me, for little old me, but she didn't think it was little old me. She saw me Mm -hmm. and that it mattered to me and saw some potential in me. 
And those are just, you know, three examples of women who absolutely made me feel like I mattered. And because of that, I just, well, I can't imagine where I would be or what I would be without those women pouring into me. That's so powerful, Ginger. You said it so well that you mattered, that you felt like you mattered, feeling like they matter. It's more important than anything else. It's more important than teaching them the subjects. It's more important than giving them physical exercise. Feeling like you matter is at the crux of everything. From my view about trauma-informed attachment-focused lenses. I can't take those lenses off anymore. It's the most important thing there is, is to be able to know that you matter, that you have people you matter to, and that you can make a difference in the world because you do matter. That's the crux of, of this resilience, isn't it? So what have we learned today about resilience? Well, we learned that the definition is that resilience is the ability to adapt, to bounce back after hardships, to even spring forward from hardships, have some growth from that. It's really more about thriving after that crisis than just surviving it. We learned that we weren't, aren't born with resilience, that we may have some tendencies that genetically make it easier for us to build resilience, but that it's built from our early childhood, from that early feeling of, of love, from our early attachment, which we'll talk about in the next episode. We also learned that to be more resilient, if we work as adults to become more resilient ourselves and understand the building blocks of what makes people more resilient, then we can turn and help children to become more resilient and give them the tools and some of the protective factors when they do experience hardships, because we all are going to experience those adversities, they'll less likely become traumatic for them and they'll less likely have a long-term devastating impact. And I think the most important thing that we learned about resilience is that definition that they gave us at Harvard, that the single most important factor to building resilience in a child is that one stable, committed relationship from an adult, which is where the hope is. If you are a parent, a caregiver, an extended family member, a, a neighbor, a community leader, especially a teacher, any of those people that have a child in your life, if you are committed to building a relationship with that child, you can build resilience in that child. And that's where the hope is right there. And it leads us right into our next episode where we're going to dive deep on attachment and relationship and why we call this podcast relational. So we'll see you back here next time. Thanks, everybody. This has been an episode of Regulated and Relational. Tune in next time when Ginger and Julie will discuss the superpower of relationships and explore attachment. Regulated and Relational is produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. A special thanks to Nicole Anderson, our researcher, and Lorraine Schneider and Stephanie Gard, our editors. Music donated by Joe Kramer. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at www.attachedtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes are available on our website and through anchor.fm. I'm Danny Pankratz. Thanks for listening.